Welcome to the death panel TikTok house and content creation farm. <laughs> yeah, we um, I have a I have an energy proposal to basically take the five boroughs of New York City and paint them all rainbow so they are as aggressively unwelcoming as possible. Um, I will be leaving the death panel to start working for the, the Yang coming Andrew Yang. Yeah, the Yang campaign full time. I'm going to be their uh, chief officer for disrupting accessibility. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. It's been great working with you guys. Yeah. yeah, did you see this though? Like Yang's uh, proposal for uh, energy was to paint the streets more colorful. Yeah, in New York City, <laughs> is that the, is just like, like the same principle as like we're we're gonna paint the hospital walls like uh, calming, <laughs> so that everybody colors. knows where they are. <laughs> right. Well, it's it's just so funny because uh, I tweeted this this morning, but basically, if you look through like accessible playground design guidelines or anything about accessibility, like the number They're one like, thing, do not do this. This is bad. Great. the death panel if you'd like to get an extra episode every week we do two episodes and that first one which is out every monday is just for patrons so patreon.com slash death panel pod you get access to our entire back catalog which is over a hundred episodes with tons of great interviews support the show get a discount on merch there's really no downside to being a death panel patron in my opinion at least i'm biased but who cares as long as you can afford it yeah yes, we need like an encyclopedia britannica style commercial for the entire family a, a gift that you will treasure for generations <laughs> and of course as always like if you can't afford it or your friend wants it and you can't they can't afford it um share the link you know property is not real so the more the merrier yeah um if someone can afford it you know, send them that Patreon, like the, the regular patreon.com yeah. slash death panel pod. But you like, can remind yeah. them I'm disabled if, someone, if, if it helps. Someone, if you know someone can't, uh, can't pay for it. Yeah. Send, send them your, send them your patron RSS feed so we can get more people uh, off of the austerity brain pathway, I guess. I mean, it really, it really does help us though. It helps us be able to do stuff like the upcoming Medicare for all week too. Oh, are we announcing it? Very yeah. All right. Medicare right. for All We're Week 2 is coming is. in February. Yep, there it is. It's announced. It's very That's exciting. And we have reading groups starting again. So, yeah, reading group is starting on Sunday. We're going to be doing 20 weeks of Marta Russell. So, every, every patron support years of solitude, helps. 20 weeks of Marta Russell. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Anyways, so today's episode is all about learning learning some really important lessons in leadership from our favorite governor, <laughs> Andrew Cuomo. I'm totally kidding. Fuck Andrew Cuomo. It's not really, I think it's not really about Cuomo uh, as it is that, you know, I think Cuomo, let me put it this way. On Let's do, let's do some more, like one last hit of native advertising for uh, the Death Panel Patreon. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, on Monday... We sat down and we recorded a long, I think, pretty thoughtful episode about uh, how the idea of the public health intervention that is the lockdown mm-hmm. totally disappeared from uh, like uh, American policy and public health discourse. How so few people 
really have advocated even though you know deaths continue to be just like miserable and absurd in quantity right how like how the lockdown has continued to not be not be part of the like the the public imaginary for what could happen in terms of trying to intervene in this pandemic right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we had this conversation we called for a lockdown i encourage you to listen to it um even if you're not inclined to agree with like wanting to have a lockdown like hear us out there's a very good case for it and there's especially a very good case for how the principle under which it was kind of erased from public discourse is extremely flawed and and suspect. But um, but, uh, you know, not not to not to overdo that that hard sell, basically, literally while we were editing that episode, <laughs> Andrew <laughs> Cuomo, the governor of New York, uh, the you know, everyone's favorite uh, big daddy of the coronavirus crisis. Um, Corona daddy, as I like to call him, tweeted out guy. <laughs> the following and obviously i know it wasn't cuomo i don't uh, i don't really believe that he knows how to use twitter or whatever necessarily but uh, you know his people tweeted out the following under his name quote we simply cannot stay closed until the vaccine hits critical mass the cost is too high we will have nothing left to open we must reopen the economy but we must do it smartly and safely and so I think what we're going to talk about today <laughs> is really how it seems like, despite the fact that we do need a lockdown, as we talked about on Monday, it, there seems to be a pervasive attitude that uh, even more so than we've been identifying over the last few months, that like things are basically we can expect things to basically proceed full speed ahead. Right. I'm, I mean, reading this tweet. I kind of had an out of body experience for a second. I kept reading it over and over. And by the second line, I would just completely like dissociate and then Mm. and just sort of go into this fugue state of just staring (laughs) at the tweet. And after reading it a couple of times, I just got stuck on we will have nothing left to open. You know what I mean? It was like it's a very daily caller line. Yeah, we will have nothing left to open. The cost is too high. We will have nothing left to open. I felt like I was, this is something we've been saying from the beginning, but for a moment I felt like I was seeing through the eyes of Andrew Cuomo, (laughs) which is not a pleasant experience. You know what I mean? Seeing like a state as it were. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, he's like saying like, listen, we know two things. COVID is killing people and COVID is killing businesses. But the fact of the matter is that if we let businesses die, then the people who survive will have nothing left. Right. We can make more people. Yeah, this is the but, old uh, uh, the Herman Kahn. This is the Herman Kahn formulation from the, the book on thermonuclear war from the 60s, which has a beautiful <laughs> cursive cover. And I think the question in the book is, will the survivors envy the dead? Oh that is a God. classic yes. sort of Cold Warrior uh, question. That's exactly what I was. I mean, that's honestly what I was thinking. It's like. It's like to Cuomo, when the pandemic is over, there will be some sort of post-consumer capitalist viral wasteland in New York City (laughs) that will be somehow worse than death. And that's like if we do a lockdown or if, frankly, actually not even if we do a lockdown, that's if things proceed proceed a pace which is to say we do not have a lockdown but everyone again you know including i guess governor cuomo like treats it like because some businesses are closed and there are like 
certain uh, restrictions, etc., that this is like the death of civic life or something. Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty clear that for Cuomo, a world in which there is no small businessman's convention to go headline at in like upstate (laughs) New York is like not a world that he wants to live in. He can't go without speaking fees. But I also I the 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 funny thing is like one wonders if he actually believes this uh, because in this in this uh, hellscape. It's like you shut down New York State, which is a sizable percentage of the GDP of the United States. Yeah. And then there's no that there's no response. Like the, the only response to that is nothing. Right. That like there's no it, that doesn't heap on pressure for some sort of additional um, stimulus or something like that. that. Like the reaction to it is, well, you know, fuck you. And I, I, I guess in one world. That plays on people's belief that no one is, in fact, coming to save them. But I I don't necessarily think it really reflects what Congress would be likely to do, because obviously we saw what happened with uh, CARES. A lot of uh, pressure was there, and that was in a completely different uh, political environment. But I think the thing about this, if you look at the the hashtag that this is associated with, is the state of the states hashtag, which is like all of these governor's addresses happened um, in the last few days. Um, and if you search that like hashtag, you're going to see the sentiment everywhere because, you know, unsurprisingly, like at Cuomo is sort of it, within the community of governors, uh, is a sort of like trendsetter. He's one of the chairs of the National Governors Association. And so like when he says something, it is the thing that sort of less rhetorically, um, <laughs> expedient, uh, or sort of like. You know, it's like he has the better paid consultants, I guess. These messages are maybe more tested or something like that. And so you do see like a mimetic uh, effect around the country. People pick up on this line and and they borrow it. Um, So this is we're really not talking about Cuomo at all. We're talking about like uh, gubernatorial leadership brain. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is very much where the sort of leadership brain um, is yeah, and I and I think to that point where that leadership brain is at the moment, like maybe I, w- I don't think I was expecting to see this exact sentiment for at least a couple of weeks, if not like um uh maybe a month or or more or something specifically because I've been worried for a while that essentially. Despite the fact that uh, we know that there are a lot of other, you know, as we talked about on Monday and we've talked about in previous episodes, this, despite the fact that we know that there are a lot of different like non-pharmaceutical interventions that need to happen, uh, including things like lockdowns in order to like actually curtail the insane amount of spread in the United States of the coronavirus, like that uh, because the public imaginary and the policy response has been so hinged on vaccines that we will see... Not even like when, oh, you know, like 30 or 40 or 50 percent of uh, the population is vaccinated. Uh, Governors start to say like, well, things are okay." Like not only are I mean, in a lot of places, obviously, like indoor dining is open now. But like not only should we reopen indoor dining and reopen schools if they're closed, we should reopen a bunch of other things. We can lift these orders on uh, whether people can congregate in homes because some people are vaccinated. And I feel like what's happening is we're seeing that at a at a time when it's like, I don't know, 3% of people right. are vaccinated. Yeah. I mean, they, the other mm-hmm. thing that they announced was like, a, like Cuomo announced a concert series 
this week. <laughs> mm-hmm. That would happen. I want to talk about this. Bef- yeah, <laughs> I think we should talk about it at length. I want to talk about it, this a lot. Yeah. Go, go, go for in. It. Yeah, go <laughs> in. I mean, so, so like this, this concert series, it's like, uh, let, let me get this straight. You guys correct me if I'm wrong. The concert series is a series of pop-up concerts with the likes of... Uh, like Bon Jovi or uh, like who? Like who? Who's Hugh doing Jackman. this? Hugh yeah. Jackman. I can't wait. And the point of the point of this these concerts is to one promote the vaccine. Is that right? And then two. Uh, I guess two. I think it's to get arts uh, workers back to work. Yeah. Actually, I don't think it's vaccine related. Okay. I think it's so about it's, saving the performing arts without yeah, the subsidies. Vac- <laughs> the vaccine only comes into play in in the public messaging in terms of saying we need to do this, like we will start doing this before everyone is all vaccinated. Okay. To be clear. All right. Et so yeah. so it's a is this a bake sale? <laughs> Basically. Is my for question Broadway, yeah. is this is this a bit like so it's like well there's no re- we can't a find some source of revenue to like actually support the arts we can't like it's not like we collect taxes by any means it's not like it's not like we're a state with governing authority or there's a legislature that i don't know could amend the state fiscal code um, but uh, it's uh, we're going to have a bake sale is yeah. essentially the thing Cool. I mean, just yeah, big sale for Broadway. Just contrast this with like Berlin, for example, which since like early, like since the middle of like the spring, has been paying artists like uh, Berlin, which also I believe. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Phil. You would you would know more about su- the subnational politics, I think, um, there. But like subnational governments in Germany can't deficit spend either, right? Uh, well, yes, but there are two things that happened in Germany. Uh, one. Uh, they relaxed the local uh, austerity rules, so mm. you actually can deficit spend. But more than that, some of the major sources of revenue for local governments in Germany have been resumed or, or uh, assumed 100% by German states and the federal government. So a lot of the sort of revenue drop-off has been like completely assumed by higher levels of government where it's easier to gotcha. um, collect those revenues. So, so the logical shit that you would do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the logical thing that you would do if you like had a, a federation and you realized that uh, subnational revenues were pro-cyclical. So right. yeah, uh, instead of that, instead of that, we're going to do a bake sale where on offer instead of Magnolia cupcakes is Hugh Jackman, everyone's favorite performing. <laughs> Wait, can we also just note, like, who in the governor's fucking office had free time enough to one cook no, no, this no, no, up no, no, no. and then this who this is like cla- it's you know I it is classic I I can totally see the meeting it's like Mr. Governor this is a mul- we are solving problems in multiple dimensions here um, <laughs> we are you know there's the we're we're promoting you know the importance of like you know the sort of getting to the end of the pandemic we have artists that are struggling we want to show that that New York is a place where people can come and make uh, you know, you know, make a career in the arts. And then we also want to like take care of, I think 
was is like the number of artists that were going to be provided for this like very small. It's like, oh, do they have to apply for like an NEA grant to like get the money? <laughs> like, it's like, do you know how many artists there are in New York State? And like the number that they cited was like, yeah, like a few thousand. <laughs> it's like amazing. Yeah. Well, and then on top of that, it's like you know it has this like palliative effect. I mean, so obviously, first of all, I mean, if we haven't, I think we've said this, but like if we haven't already, first of all, the the very idea, which is again, you know, they're saying like we're going to host these, uh, I think they're like, we're going to figure out how to do, uh, like outdoor concerts and like, uh, and you know, I think, I think it sounds like basically outdoor Broadway events essentially. I think it's mostly Broadway oriented actually. It seems like, right. But so they're like, you know, we're, we're going to do all, all these outdoor events and there's going to be, uh, there's going to be like distancing. And we ran this, uh, you know, we ran this experiment, uh, at like a Buffalo bills game saying like, we're going to do testing for every, for all the thousands of people going to this bills game. Yeah. Yeah, and so we're gonna so well using rapid antigen testing yeah. in the White House. No one got sick <laughs> yeah. in the White yeah. House with that strategy. Like Great the, plan. Not like the president ended up in the hospital for a couple of days. I don't know. My but eyes like, are rolling so bad they might get stuck. <laughs> but basically, <laughs> uh, they're saying this and they're saying, you know, oh, we're gonna roll out like uh, testing because we all know that. <laughs> Let's just put it, you know, put it this way. One of the most absurd parts of hygiene theater, obviously, has been the idea that, like, oh yeah, you can go, you can get like a, a rapid test right before you go to a party, and then the party is totally safe or something. Artie, this but, isn't but the, hygiene like, theater. This is hygiene Broadway. Yeah. <laughs> now I know that not everyone likes the the musical follies. They don't regard <laughs> it as Sondheim's best. But I would say that the book. The book from Follies is something that every New Yorker <laughs> should appreciate. <laughs> no, but, no, no, but really, like, okay, so the, there's that aspect, which is obviously, you know, not to, what I'm saying is not to beat around the bush. Cuomo is talking about arranging super spreader events, which is hilarious. <laughs> one thing. Oh, yeah. The other, uh, well, that at least I, I know, it makes tracing easier. We have to make it explicit. Um, but like the, but then uh, two is like to to talk about the the idea of like oh you could totally see in this meeting oh like this this satisfies so many like vertices of our reopening uh, mm-hmm. agenda or whatever is that um the, you know the idea of like what what are the what is the thing that a lot of um let's say pe- like well off white people who like really hate the pandemic um are are upset about right it's like, like precious cultural events not being able to be conducted uh in, in like the normal way or whatever i mean I, I think about like that movie bob post that was going around that was like that was like fuck the people who won't take the vaccine like i'll take my vaccine and then everyone who can't get the vaccine is like can can just like fuck off and he was quote tweeting like a thing about how Hollywood is going to delay some more movies Wasn't or something. Wasn't that like also a like, Nate Silver tweet? That, that was, was also like, a Nate I Silver tweet. I don't care but, if people don't want to get vaccinated. Yeah. Fuck them. I'm not up for lockdowns anymore. Right. Like no, they exactly. can get sick and die. Right. But so this this runs uh, super deep. And one of the things I guess my, my point is like one of the reasons that post was so funny was because he was like talking about his the thing that he was upset about was not the pandemic and all the deaths. The thing that he was upset about <laughs> was like i don't know not not being His able to go see wonder Marvel woman in a theater delayed. or yeah. something yeah but right. the to like to this point Cuomo said of this and i just like i cannot get over this quote from his uh press conference quote cities are by definition centers of energy entertainment theater and cuisine <laughs> Without that activity and attraction, cities lose much of their appeal. Mm-hmm. What is a city 
without social, cultural, and creative <sighs> synergies. This is incredibly frustrating, especially considering like some of the other plans that have been put in place in New York City, which is sort of setting an example nationwide, unfortunately, with the way that other cultural institutions have been tasked with reopening. Like, for example, there was this plan about all the zones that was like announced mm-hmm. a couple months ago where they were like, OK, so in red zones, things have to close down. But in orange zones, they can stay open and in yellow zones, they can stay this. So it's like, OK, so like, let's say Queens is a red zone. And so you're going to shut down everything in Queens. But all of the cultural institutions in Manhattan, like the Met, American Museum of Natural History, New Museum, the Whitney, like those are all open, right? right. So there's nothing stopping someone who's from a red zone coming and hanging out inside of a museum all day long because they're trying to keep these museums open and encourage tourism. And so it's the same shit with, with, you know, New York is not New York without Broadway. What are you doing trying to get tourism revenue right now? That's not an appropriate (laughs) thing to do during a pandemic. I'm sorry. It's just a baseline fact. Yeah. It it, it occurs to me that like now I I, like what passes for leadership or this sort of blind (laughs) is like the blind charge of the lemmings off the cliff Um, (laughs) because Again, once you once you've habituated people to a certain level of, um, you know, death, which I I yeah, I I guess I have to conclude that maybe that's uh, that's what's happening. You know, I don't want to believe that people are habituated to this. I don't want to like I don't want to believe that when people open up the, the newspaper in Milwaukee in the morning, like the front page story is like the, you know, physician who's considered like the uh, COVID warriors, like obviously died of COVID, you know, that the people are like, oh yeah, well, here we are. But right. I do think that that is where we are. And that's why this seems like this and not, I don't know, say using the leverage that you have as co-chair of the National Governors Association <laughs> to demand that, to demand the, the kind of support, say, if you care about the image of New York as a place where art happens, you know, for uh, artists or for, uh, you know, for the state so that the state can make those payments. To artists. like, I don't care how you do it. But um, but no, I, the, the leadership now is like, yes, how do we in a way just sort of uh, normalize mm-hmm. further this like uh, preemptive uh, strategy? And, it, and it's, I guess, also understandable because the. Like I, I was like buried in state like fiscal data uh, yesterday and like all of these Fun. all of these forecasts for the economy, uh, they all are just getting better and better and better. Oh, and boy. I think that is uh, I mean, like the, you know, state budget gaps are like, you know, as the year has gone on, like the projections are like shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And I think it has created this, I mean, really irrational exuberance. That when you especially look at the way that the vaccine rollout has been handled and uh, the sort of rates of infection, you know, continuing, like it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, uh, And then you realize you look a little bit further and you're like, oh, states aren't as worried because the pandemic's really affecting low income taxpayers more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so they're. In a way, you know, they're they're not as worried about uh, losing revenue from those like high income taxpayers, and it, it like just an incredibly grotesque set of realizations uh, mm-hmm. one one comes to is like who who is all of this for is the question that keeps running through my mind. Who's the yeah. audience? And I think the the focus on yeah, like Sondheim in the park or whatever. The answer is clear. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, it's very yeah. clear. 
Yeah, that's such a good point, Phil. I mean, one of the things that was kind of creeping me out is like just uh, like if you look for the state of the state 2021 hashtag and you look through like for common words that are being used by like multiple different state governments and you know like even Cuomo's daughter is tweeting this out the the uh phrasing that has been workshopped is really specific and like kind of eerie saying uh clear path forward and making a case for optimism making compelling case for optimism and that that's all great you know, having a path forward and optimism is good. However, like, what are you actually talking about? And it's exactly this issue of, well, we were a little worried that the pandemic would have broader financial impacts. And yet, <laughs> right. seems like it's only hurting yeah. people we already don't care about the most. So we're pretty good to go. It's impossible to like to look at this and not conclude that right i mean i think that's probably you don't even I have think, to see through cuomo's eyes by accident through dissociation <laughs> while reading right, one of his tweets right. to get this no, yeah for example if if i, I don't know if, if you if you feel like you are uh like really if you're really experiencing the like pain of the pandemic the loss of it and the or if you're even even if you're not and you're just basically paying attention to uh to the amount and you're not dull to the fact that i mean the fact that we hit, you know, for, like over 4,000 deaths for the third time uh, yesterday, for example. And I'm, you know, really, I'm really worried for what the, um, what the numbers are going to gonna look like in the coming weeks, because like CDC estimates are that like uh, cases are going to jump like by 25% a, a day or something, not necessarily, necessarily deaths, but new cases, um, which obviously, you know, deaths do lag cases, but like, it's hard, it's hard to then like, you know, look at these either cheery pronouncements by, uh, by officials or like look at, um, pronouncements that are like, there's been a lot of public consternation about the, the vaccine rollout and like all the states, including, yeah. including our state. But you know what? Like, let's, let's take this moment. Uh, let's take a moment when like in the, in the middle of all of that to say like, well, for those who are still okay, uh, in a couple of months or something, here's a concert series you could go go to, uh, <laughs> even before you're vaccinated, etc. And it really sends this message that yeah, like um, for like for the most part, uh, the clearly the people that these uh, reopening plans are being uh, designed for and really pitched to in the court of public opinion are people who are fine, people mm -hmm. who like have been able to either take some measures to like kind of protect themselves or who just by like the the basic luck and circumstance of being in this like socioeconomic uh, strata basically to you know be more likely to just not come into uh, like contact with with people who like who could infect them or something right and have the um uh like have the luxury of pandemic fatigue right i mean like mm -hmm. i posted this thing that was like uh, like pretending things are safe like things like schools or things like indoor dining or whatever pretending things are safe during the pandemic that are obviously not is like the liberal equivalent of QAnon. And I really <laughs> fucking mean that. Like it is equally absurd to me to, to, you know, see like some of the, some of the things like that, uh, that like the Q people draw the connections between or whatever on the pin board, you know, mm -hmm. um, and to see, like, you know, the liberal equivalent of Q being like Emily Oster and Vinay Prasad and fucking Andrew Cuomo being like, it's fine, you know, right. Um, uh, there's a great quote from Cuomo from this press conference, quote, we're looking at months of shutdowns. He said, we need to begin to act now. We can't float along letting pain, hardship and inequality grow around us. Yeah. Well, and I feel like the, for me personally, it's frustrating to see so much attention um, 
being paid to try and save something like Broadway, for example, which is already like a heavily subsidized industry in New York. And it's heavily geared towards like, as you're saying, already like a very specific socioeconomic class. The point I mean, the point is, I, I think we are saturated right now with basically uh, a lot of messaging from uh, from people, not just like people in power like Cuomo, but um, from, uh, media figures, et cetera, that essentially there is like, uh, you know, there's like a light at the end of the tunnel for the pandemic because some of the, um, because like some of the vaccines have been distributed. Um, right. right. Um, and we've talked about a lot of, uh, the wrinkles to that and a lot of the fact that there's a lot of other interventions that, uh, have to have to happen that are not just the fucking vaccine, but also like, I don't know. I think this is one of the reasons why like the, you know, we joked about the Yang, uh, for mayor thing. Uh, at the, at the beginning, but like, you know, one of the things that really frustrates me in the, like the Yang proposal, for example, is like in his platform for like mayor of New York, which again, you know, not, not to like tie this back to New York again, but to like slant it slightly off of, uh, off of like Cuomo, for example, to like a, a similar situation. Um, people are be, people being similarly messaged to one of his things is like, for, first of all, they say New York must be the first big, big city to reopen, which like that doesn't make any sense. Why? <laughs> um, it should lock down because but Broadway, the, baby. But then uh, they also yeah, like Yang's platform, like also says we have to we should uh, once like when we can get the pandemic under control. Uh, New York should throw like the biggest party the world's ever seen. <laughs> um which, first of all, that already happened. That was Namjoon Pike's uh, Good Morning, Mr. Orwell, uh, his, <laughs> his New, New Year's video piece uh, in 1984, but I digress. But it's, Damn. again, it's this idea that, like, well, it's only a matter of time now. You know, we can we can just, like, kick this. We can kick down responsibility by just saying, like, oh, well, you know, uh, eventually people will get vaccinated and then we won't have to worry about much after that. Like revenues shortfalls are, as Phil say, mitigated by the fact that, uh, you know, state revenue, uh, state like tax revenue is largely going to fall in terms of like the poorest people uh, already because by and large wealthier people are doing fine. And so fuck it. I don't know. It's extremely, I don't know, like murderous and jaded. It's ridiculous. I hate <laughs> No, it's, I mean, it's, and the other thing is, and, and what is happening in New York or what happens in New York does have, uh, ripple effects because it, it does provide a model for what other places do. And so, yeah, it's not, it's not necessarily surprising to me that like, yeah, uh, you know, even in places with very, very different, um, uh, politics, this, this gives something like for democratic governors to like cue off of, um, uh, especially democratic governors. And so, I mean, when you say we're not doing this in, you know, New York or we're, you know, this is the approach we're taking, you have to recognize that, that, uh, the implications of that are, are as if you're saying like, we're the CDC and this is what we're recommending. It's, it's almost as influential. Right. Mm -hmm. If not well, more so. I, I mean, I think this is also like it's important to also take this in the context of what's going on with the vaccine rollout yeah. and some of these sort of really draconian and punitive systems of priority enforcement that have that have been laid out because it's it's a very dystopian like pairing to have like 
public-private partnership with, like, you know, promoting the new opening of Little Island on the Hudson River to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Tribeca Film Festival with performances from Hugh Jackman and 150 other public pop-up concerts. And also, if this doctor in the Bronx gives the vaccine to the wrong person by accident, $1 million fine. Like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Um, I think also they have what um, Cuomo put in place a like a hundred thousand dollar fine if uh, hospitals allow vaccines to expire. So they have. So not only can they not give them to people (laughs) like as a lot of places in other states have been have uh, been uh, doing, especially pharmacies in other states have been doing with the blessing of like the the state. giving people uh, like a a vaccine dose on a first come first serve basis. If the vaccines are like, if they are at their expiration date and they're about to have to have to throw them out, giving them to the general public, regardless of whether they uh, conform to the CDC guidelines or not. Right. Um, Both. I don't know. It just seems like an, it is an absurd position to put, uh, put people in from like a, from a, from a public health perspective to say, okay, if you're a hospital, which again, Cuomo made the decision to put, the vaccines in hands of hospitals as opposed to public health agencies, although more, more public health agencies are being uh, given it within New York state now. But like, regardless, if you're a hospital and you let's say have vaccines that are about to expire, like their expiration date is about to be hit, you could face a hundred thousand dollar fine for throwing them out or giving them, or or you could face a million dollar fine for giving them to someone who doesn't qualify. So how does, I mean, it's called incentivization ID. Basically (laughs) the idea (laughs) is that people will only do what they're told if they're given an impossible set of choices. Yeah. No, but this is, this is classic. This is classic boss shit. It's like, (laughs) totally. it's we, it's, we fucked up. And now to prevent anyone from ever saying that we fucked up, we now, like transfer all of the uh responsibility uh for our fuck ups onto you. Uh yeah. we are passing the savings we are passing the savings and the uh you know punitiveness like down to the down to the level of the the, the physician. Um right. but this is but I, I feel like let's 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 rewind the clock momentarily to the uh, hilarious debate that was had among the influencers on Twitter, uh, you know, about the ASIP uh, guidelines about vaccine distribution and like who should get it for who should be in one a versus one B. And, and, you know, when you think of, and like, obviously we weighed in on who we thought would be whatever we had a position on that. But one thing we said at the time is like all of this debate presumes that you have an infrastructure that's going to be able to get uh, the vaccine out to people in the first place and actually like verify uh, who they are and like whether or not they're quote unquote like uh, eligible uh, in the first place. And it's just this amazing kind of like pipe dream that people have about the capacity, this like this pipe dream of like the hyper competent um, state and the idea that like anything that's like crude or rudimentary is like, you know, uh, violates all of these. Uh, we, there's this, I mean, and I understand to an extent, like we have these 
sort of values we think we hold. And then we just sort of uh, assume that like maybe there's some apparatus that like put them into place. That's the ASIP guidelines are all about like balancing various different like ethical concerns. But all of that presupposes that there's like an infrastructure to like make it happen. And then you look at like what the federal government has invested in vaccine distribution and it's like paltry. And then you look at like what states um, have the capacity to do through their own uh, revenue and their own like completely denuded uh, public health uh, agencies. And you wonder, like, how is this going to happen um, at all? And then you right. think, like, right. we don't have an N- we don't have anything like an NHS. So it's not surprising that, like, in Virginia, like one of the big problems that is happening is that providers uh, weren't even able to, like, verify whether or not people who were like lining up for the vaccine were eligible uh, in the first place. And so now like the, the, the response to this is uh, from, from Cuomo. And I presume, you know, we might see some replication of this elsewhere is no, we're just, we could not possibly have fucked this up because we are (laughs) multidimensional problem solvers. We are the smart guys. So you fuck this up. Um, And you're the reason why, uh, vaccines are like either sitting on the shelves or going in the wrong arms or whatever the case may be. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, fundamentally, this is a problem that like is, you know, w- whatever we could talk about the personalities, the various like sort of like institutional like alphabet soup of reasons why this wasn't, you know, there. But this is like back of what happens when you don't have something like an NHS and you're relying mm-hmm. yeah. on this completely mm-hmm. paltry network of uh, providers. And so like, I, you know, that that is and so now we're going to be forced to like take yeah just like a wacky series of uh of decisions about this yeah i mean um but and and also i mean i, I do think though the one thing that you can it, like obviously it's divorced from the personalities but you can see i keep thinking of the way for example where um you, you know we we made we mocked cuomo before about the like the cheesecake thing uh and how he's like reduced so much of the of the spread of the coronavirus to uh personal responsibility and people not um i don't know obeying his very good rules or whatever which clearly have not been sufficient um but then in terms of this uh you know it's not it's not just the fines but in terms of the the way that the some of the vaccination protocol has been shifted, for example, you see him being like, I don't know, like a, just a whiny little bitch about it all the time, <laughs> to be to be frank. I mean, yeah, what happened, for example, when uh, he find, like there was this huge back and forth uh, earlier in the week where um, the like the CDC changed their rollout guidance right to say like anyone 65 and older can get vaccinated yeah we should get into that in a second yeah and we should and we should get into this because there's there's more to say about this but i just want to say in terms of how the response was to that for obviously there was this back and forth and they they sort of fought it um they and this resulted in basically like three quick completely separate pieces of messaging on in terms of what the state was going to do uh finally landing a lot closer to the cdc recommendations and when cuomo finally said, okay, we'll go with the CDC recommendations. We're going to add uh, people over 65 and immunocompromised people. What he said of it was, okay, well, this is a lot of people. You're going to be able to set up your appointment, but don't be surprised if your appointment's three months from now, which just to (laughs) qualify also, like we know people who are over 65 who got an appointment that's in like a week. So uh, that's, that's false. But anyway, and then he also said, um, talking about opening it up, not just to, to those people, but to people who are immunocompromised, he made this whole song and dance about how 
Uh, well, the CDC doesn't even define who immunocompromised are. Uh, you know who you know who counts as immunocompromised? Well, anyone who's a smoker. So you know, this also is gonna... some people that are overweight, or right. some people that like we don't even know, but it's probably seven million people. Like it's just it's just such bullshit. I mean, <laughs> and on one hand, with like the concert thing, he's basically saying like, well, if you wouldn't eat the cheesecake, you wouldn't get COVID. We're going to distribute some cheesecake to everyone. Like, here's a cheesecake party right. that you can all have. Right. On the other hand, and on the other hand, one night only special the, appearance. And on the other hand, he's saying like, well, if you would, if you didn't eat the cheesecake, you wouldn't get get COVID. Here's a fine for eating the cheesecake. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, <laughs> I mean, it's hard to be a hyper competent public or for health. Not eating it anyway. appar- it's. It, I mean, it's hard to be a hyper competent public health apparatus without uh, funding public health, without uh, coordinating with central planning and without a single payer system. And then you add on top of that an extremely complex and rigid set of guidelines, some of which are conflicting um, over who and how you can receive uh, who can receive a vaccine and how and when they can receive it. And then you threaten healthcare providers with uh, fines if they don't follow the rules, which are incredibly unclear. And at this point with the change in prioritization on Tuesday, I think that it's not uh, a stretch to argue that the average provider might not have any idea whether or not they're following the quote unquote law or not Mm -hmm. here. It's incredibly difficult to understand. And I think that's reflected in stuff like my hospital sending me nine text messages in one day, each one saying something different because there's been an announcement. (laughs) They've been flooded with calls. Like my mom was in the pulmonologist's office on Tuesday and said that like the people in the office were like at near tears and the phone did not stop ringing the entire time she was there with just people calling. Right. And so Mm -hmm. this, this confusion, one is not great for confidence in the vaccine Two, like, it reminds me of some of the administrative burdens that I that like are in place by insurance companies to seek care that discourage people from actually following through on their care because yeah. it's such mm-hmm. a fucking mashugana pain in the ass <laughs> to get even on the list in the first place that like you have to take into account the fact that people are not necessarily going to be able to follow through like that's not something that's really easy to do especially if like say you're still like working five to six shifts a week in in a grocery store no i mean it's it is like almost as if the the (laughs) american state is not very familiar with the concept of everyone being able to get a particular kind of care Uh, (laughs) we don't have a state apparatus that that is able to do that. Uh, yep. Or frankly, or, or frankly, even yeah, capable of uh, of administering anything that could be conceived as a public good. Like if you if you can't seize on this now as an example of why we need an NHS, I, I there's no better opportunity. Like this, yeah. just like yes, the fact that all of these systems are not integrated with one another. Uh, the fact that we are relying on, you know, every institution to think about their priorities simply as their own uh, institution and not about themselves sort of nested within like a larger community. And you see this reflected, too. And we'll talk, I, I think, about mm-hmm. the the way that like universities are, are planning like in-person instruction. It's like they're just thinking about it in terms of their own boat. Yeah, and right. they're not think they have no incentive at all to think about the broader community because the way that we 
you know, have hived off resources um, and the way that that we require all of this investment to be private, that it they have every incentive to think about it that way. Right. And this is the problem with the way that I think we're thinking about community right now in the United States is that there is like one definition of community, which is functionally the one that the virus takes for granted, which is how a community actually fucking works, right? Which is that someone lives in the community, they work in the community, and so the virus spreads amongst the people they come in contact with, right? Then you have this other idea of community, which is the one that like private actors and private companies and government agencies are using, which is this sort of hermetically sealed idea that certain things just don't interact, right? And that disconnect is resulting in stuff like what we talked about on Monday with the Brookings Economic Activity Paper, which was like classifying people who uh, worked in a restaurant as having different risk levels and probabilities as the customers they're serving in the at their job, right? And this kind of like, and it's this two-tiered risk assessment for the same interaction. It's not just saying like, oh, because they're at work, you know, like, and they're there all day versus the patron being there a short amount of time. It's like, no, they're in different classes of economic activity and therefore different risk is applied. And it's just not realistic. And then you have that combined with the fact that Guidelines are constantly changing. Guidelines are unclear, undefined. And what you result in is like a bunch of people only act, not just people, not individuals, but institutions, decision making bodies like universities or workplaces or what have you making these decisions that are based on their own specific circumstances and self-interest as if they have no contact with the community outside. And then they're surprised when there's community spread within their perfect hermetically sealed system, as if like right. making the individuated plan somehow removed them from the community in like a, I've made a line in the sand. You can't cross. This is my border. You can't come in here. Yeah. And it's just, it's not great. You know what I mean? It's really not great. And maybe we should talk about the guidelines for a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I want to talk about one very specific guideline because I, I drilled into this a little bit and I did some digging and it's really interesting. So, so, so the CDC issued updated recommendations saying that the initial rollout should be expanded from age 75 and up to also include people 65 and up as well as people between the ages of 16 and 65 who are immune compromised. Now, this is great, obviously, not just speaking as an immune compromised person, but this is a good thing and probably people that you would want to get vaccinated soon right exactly the only issue is as we mentioned like there is not a um there is not a definition of what immune compromised means and that's kind of a problem because being immune compromised is a really wide spectrum there are a lot of different types and varying degrees of being immune compromised there are um Definitely like large disease populations that are immune compromised. You can get sort of some idea of what the total patient population is going to be, how many people are going to qualify. But as we've talked about in previous episodes, we actually in the United States don't really track autoimmune diseases. We don't really track immune compromisation. We don't track all of these health metrics in one number. It's not easy to look up and get like, okay, it's X amount of the population the way that this information is collected right now on these conditions is really few and far between. And that's partially because in the past 20 years, like this, this population has had increased survival 
right? That didn't used to be a factor before. In the past 20 years, we've figured out how to um, help people live with stage four breast cancer, for example. Like there's chronic breast cancer and that's a disease that didn't exist 10 years ago, right? And so you have no existing... um, data set to get any idea, right? And so what you're left with is the CDC has issued this recommendation, and then at the state level, every state is going to have to come up with their own definition of what immune compromise means. And that's kind of where I'm worried. Well, which Mm -hmm. is where you see Andrew Cuomo being like a whiny baby and (laughs) saying, well... You know, they didn't tell us who was immunocompromised technically. And, you know, if you're a cigarette smoker, uh, you know, cigarettes suppress your immune system. So does that count as immunocompromised? Like, geez, CDC, et cetera, you know, just being petulant about it. Whereas really, it's just we don't I mean, as you're pointing out, we just don't I don't know. We have not. We just don't count. We just don't count them. And, you know, part of that is, yeah, we don't have the central coordination. You know, this all just actually further reinforces the point that we were all talking about earlier about like, you know, how this just demonstrates how we need something like an American NHS Mm -hmm. on top of a single payer system. But like, you know, it's just left to like very generalized surveys, essentially. Mm -hmm. And then it's ultimately, I I imagine what this is going to mean. It's going to be generalized guidance that, um, you know, states might not even want to technically touch well really uh, and then it'll become the provenance of like providers basically to determine oh well this patient is immune compromised etc but then that means you know what does that mean is that an extra burden where an immune compromised person has to go get a doctor's note in order to be able to take it to a public uh, vaccination center does that mean that they have to get vaccinated at the doctor Mm -hmm. etc yeah well i mean it's the the fact that we're witnessing the state try to reckon with categories that at the level of clinical practice might in fact be essentially contested mm-hmm. uh, and there might be def- the reasonable different definitions of is epiphenomenal of like what happens when you like operate according to, you know, a sort of scarcity uh, kind of regime. Like it, it, it is the after effect of what happens like when you don't have a centrally coordinated like supply chain uh, mm-hmm. for these sorts of things. But like it the further and further down uh, you get into the, the weeds of like having to make these distinctions and not just distinctions about people with, you know, what counts as immunocompromised versus what doesn't. But like who is worthy of saving and who isn't um, it. Uh, it only magnifies any sort of legitimacy crisis that the state is going to face. Like, how can you like, like look people in the face and say like, you know, uh, this is, this is like our public uh, policy that has like some sort of like legitimacy. It, it, it pushes it far, far out beyond the bounds of that. Yeah. And I mean, the thing too, is like, if you, if you take the fact that like, there is no real consensus on uh, who constitutes like a immune compromised population from a clinical perspective, who absolutely needs prioritized access to the vaccine versus who's like, less immune compromised and you leave that up to these decision making bodies who like kind of are already pissing away their own authority who are also like imposing like serious fines and these sort of like purity tests over like 
you know, value who deserves the vaccine. Like from a disability studies perspective, you completely uh, suddenly start to have like horrible night sweats and night terrors being like, wow, what if they say only people who are disabled through no fault of their own qualify? Yeah. What if they leave out people who are overweight because they're going to be, you know, subjective shitheads who decide, well, you know, people who are overweight um, had a choice. Oh, just saying it even <laughs> makes me feel disgusting. But, you know, it's like Cuomo saying like, well, you had a choice to not eat the cheesecake. So sorry, you're shit out of luck and you're not included in this group of like deserving immune compromised people. It's an incredibly slippery slope. And knowing the history of how we determine eligibility in the United States, I have very serious concerns that this is going to reinforce some really horrible, horrible ideas about illness and and just reproduce stigma, to be honest. I mean, it's like after the last time I mentioned this on the show about how we actually don't really study immune disease, like autoimmune diseases in the country. We don't really know how many people have autoimmune diseases. I heard from a lot of researchers and scientists who were like, yeah, I study autoimmune diseases and it's crazy. I have to rely on info from Sweden, but I studied Crohn's disease in the United States. And there are all these like ways that we've sort of bootstrapped and bricolaired together these systems of like making definitive statements about the the clinical like clinical purview of this disease category that is not based on the US population at all like our best estimate of how many people have immune compromised systems in the United States is based on a voluntary survey from 2013 which if we're going from 2013 numbers 13 million People with immune compromised conditions in the United States, which I'm sure has grown well, and since the, then. And the kicker is, what was the question? Well, right. What was the question? <laughs> the question, the first question was, have you ever been told by a doctor or other health professional that your immune system is weakened? So great. It's like, did you ever have a cold and go in and say, yeah, I mean, it's well, over, oh, that's that would be over reporting or it could either easily be under reporting because you're under reporting. Exactly. You're asking like, has a doctor said this to you? You're yeah, also which, saying if you're not like, going to a doctor regularly or if um, the doctor hasn't explained it to you in that way. Exactly. Right. Or if you can't or if you can't remember I mean, yep. this is like the, which is, um, you know, a huge issue in, in health surveys is the fact that yeah who who can remember everything that their doctor said to them in that harried 20 minute or less uh appointment a uh, year ago or more um but i think that yeah the further and further out you like push these sort of like decisions into these uh categories where you know there's a, a lot of question marks it's just an invitation uh in a way for more regulate it's the usual way it's interpreted in the united states is just more regulatory burden for the patient right and and mm-hmm. it's also like this is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of like how this is a complicated mess just regarding the just regarding the category of immune compromised patients in general right because you have this other issue of sort of telephone that's happening where the cdc guidelines have to acknowledge the fact that There is going to be some overlap between the recovered COVID population and the population of immune compromised patients. Right. But they're trying to account for that. So they're saying, well, people who have received convalescent plasma or IVIG, IV immunoglobulin for COVID cannot get the vaccine until 90 days after their infusion. 
So the reason why this line ended up on the CDC recommendations to begin with, which has led to it being misinterpreted in the game of telephone when these states have decided whether or not to adopt these new recommendations for the CDC, is that the CDC is concerned that there could be some issues with efficacy, some issues with antibodies interacting between recovered COVID patients who have received either convalescent plasma or IVIG to treat COVID-19 and the mRNA vaccine. Mostly that, um, you know, the antibodies that were introduced to the body through IVIG or convalescent plasma to treat COVID-19 could destroy the very delicate mRNA before um, it can be processed by the white blood cells. Mm-hmm. So the but the problem is is that how it's been translated as it has been reproduced by states who are adopting these recommendations has been really piecemeal and seems to be missing this point of like oh it's that we don't want covid patients to have the specifically vaccine specifically recovered covid patients right specifically pa- recovered covid patients we don't want them to have the vaccine and this treatment too close together so we need to make sure that those patients wait before they're vaccinated if regardless of their priority right. to make sure that everything works out properly the problem is is how this is being represented is like some some places are now their recommendations say anyone on this treatment needs to have a 90 day window where they didn't receive it in order to be eligible. And that's ultimately going to contribute to this like confusion of trying to determine who deserves the vaccine within this really broad sort of unquantifiable group of patients. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, are we so just like fucked on this that like that, you know, we should we should give providers like the discretion to make that decision? I mean, I don't think that giving the providers the discretion to make the decision is a bad thing, actually. I just think that, like, the main issue is that we completely lack the infrastructure from, like, a coordination standpoint. We don't have an NHS. We don't have comprehensive mm-hmm. portable medical records, despite the fact that that was supposed to be something that uh, the ACA, like, enshrined into the American healthcare system. Like, the fact of the matter is we, we just don't have it. And it's more that, mm-hmm. like... There's a perception or a portrayal of us being able to implement a system like this without actually us having the the required infrastructure to carry something like this out, right? Like we mm-hmm. can say we want to make sure that we're prioritizing really immune compromised patients and then going sort of in a scale from like most compromised to least compromised. And yes, you would need direct provider collaboration in trying to manage that because they know their patients, right? And they they mm-hmm. do have those records, but there's no there is no obviously way no attempt to do, to do that. Well, and there's no way to do it at scale with what we're currently mm-hmm. working with. And yet the recommendations are being made as if we have that sort of infrastructure, as if we have an NHS, as if we have single payer, as if we have comprehensive electronic medical records on every person in this country. And we know exactly how many people are sick. And the fact of the matter is we don't know how many people are sick. We don't know how many people are immune compromised. And we don't have any system of actually doing this beyond the sort of individual provider patient relationship. And that in and of itself is a problem because you have recommendations coming out from the government saying we're going to do it according to this system. And then the parts required to implement that system are not there. But but Mm -hmm. like what the public sees is like a failure of an institution and a failure of the government. And that results in lowered trust. And that's just Mm -hmm. like what keeps happening over and over in every different area of covid response. Well, Yeah. And I think the thing is, it's it's not as if those. prospective ideas because like so much of like what government does when it plans is prospective, right? You always, this is like the seeing like a state thing. It's like you always have, there's, there's always a sense 
of like what what is possible that that might not be real baked into plans. But rather than like in the United States, like the response is never like, oh, yeah. And here's how we're going to like change things to like meet those uh, goals right. or like to address those plans. No, no, no. Instead, what I have to hear from people is like, this is the federal response to COVID is like the biggest response to a crisis <laughs> ever. It's like, okay, scale? Like, like <laughs> it's just like, uh, like, you want me to applaud for the fact that like, yes, you didn't even manage to get like vaccine distribution money out. Like it's like the way that we evaluate these things matters uh, a lot. Uh, but yeah, but that is the sort of response is like the response of like leaders, people like, well, it's like, is in just righteous indignation at the fact that you would like ask a question uh, <laughs> about about why it's not going, you know, as well as uh, it had been hyped to be. Yeah. Right. And I think what we're seeing is this is like most cruelly exemplified by the sort of back to school conversation or reopen school conversation. We've been talking a lot about schools lately from our episode last week where we talked a lot about teachers in West Virginia um, to our episode with Abby and Justin where we also talked about West Virginia, Emily Oster and school reopenings, which we actually just unlocked. So if you haven't checked that out, we highly recommend. Um, But I want to take a moment to look at the sort of higher education side because we haven't really had a chance to touch on that in a little bit. And that's also... I think a similar uh, situation where we're seeing these sort of like large institutions um, be given like the semblance of making equitable decisions based on government recommendations, which are in theory, I guess, based on evidence-based research. And yet there are some pretty, um, pretty bad plans that are in motion right now where they're trying to reopen schools. And this is a big part of like what the vaccine eligibility guidelines have become for most states is like, are you a person who uh, needs to be teaching in person for higher education? Okay, you're part of phase 1A now. Yeah, no, as, as we've said before, it's like this, this just becomes an instrumentality. The vaccine becomes as much a public health strategy as it is a an instrumentality for unleashing, you know, the, the return to, uh, to normalcy. But like the, like the analysis on colleges and universities is wild. The thing that came out from the CDC this week mm-hmm. is just looking at like comparing, um, uh, college counties that contain a college or university that, um, didn't go back to in-person instruction, had remote only instruction versus those that, uh, had in-person instruction. And what they see is that the counties that had in-person instruction, this is beginning in the fall, experienced a 56% increase um, in <laughs> the spread of COVID-19. Um, counties that uh, didn't, uh, that had a call big college or university and uh, went to remote-only instruction actually experienced a 6% decrease uh, over the same time frame. And that's when you've met, these are all like matched pairs of counties that are like similar. They're like urban to urban, rural to rural, like small college town to small college town. And yeah, it's like, I don't. So, so like then what you can conclude from this is like, if you are going back consciously in person, you are thinking perhaps only about the, sort of integrity of the university community itself and not the community in which it's situated um, at all. I mean, it's, it's to me, it's like the small scale version of what happened with Sturgis, right? It's just like the, it's the buttoned up, uh, you know, tweed sport coat version of the Sturgis motorcycle rally. Like that's <laughs> same, same deal. I mean, it's, it's, 
it it is like Sturgis, but like somehow it is, it, you know, you don't you don't need to have a study of colleges to assume that like a college where lots of people live in close quarters and mingle <laughs> and, and group like and gather in differing groups throughout the day in enclosed spaces is going to be a sort of like super spread yeah, well, risk you don't need a study and yet even when, ironically even when you have one it i, <laughs> I highly doubt I, I mean i will get vince i will pay you you know in dozens of dunkin donuts i don't know uh if <laughs> if any university uses this uh to reconsider what they're doing for the spring however when any sort of like pre preprint a uh, study with a you know uh, non-random uh, selection of uh, uh, you know school data uh, goes out there saying like um, yeah well uh, I don't know we're, we're kind of not sure about this but uh, it seems like uh, the angel of death passes over the school if you paint <laughs> the uh, if you paint the blood on the the door like it's um, the sorry I always the yeah, biblical I went to Catholic it's school okay. like it's I only totally think fun. in biblical references I was just um, I was actually just thinking how disgusting dorm rooms are but continue yeah I mean the like the those studies just get yeah, socially reproduced all the time but I really actually haven't seen a lot of reporting on the CDC one yeah and I mm-hmm. mean re- regardless of how it carries in terms of like social reproduction or in terms of like the uh, like uh, media, media coverage this is ultimately just I mean you know you, you mentioned Phil I, I was thinking about that the thing that you said just a moment ago almost as an aside of just like oh well you know I don't think this is going to really affect anyone's um, like any any colleges or universities I don't think they're going to look at this and say like oh well I guess we shouldn't go back in person or something like that right and I think in large part that's because you know there hasn't been I think, you know, in, in places where, for example, the state hasn't made the decision for uh, college or university, right, which is a lot of uh, which is a lot of places. There are some states where they're like, well, this uh, this, you know, essentially like in, in-person instruction in this method or that method um, can't really happen. But in 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 places where that um, has not been sort of decided for them, you know, for the most part, a lot of these decisions are going to be made on, um, you know, considering, especially for uh, private universities and colleges and things like that are going to be made on what's the impact to the endowment. They absolutely are. Right. And, but with the impact on like the, the, the schools, like, you know, financial, uh, futures, et cetera, because there has not been, uh, aid for it. And so while this, study from the cdc should be a very clear sign of like well maybe we just you know uh put these schools in sort of a holding pattern to make it so that they don't end up uh you know going completely bankrupt much like every fucking other thing uh like most other businesses in the united states you know um like maybe we say oh well this is a very obvious sign that not only for the health of people in universities but also for the health of the communities literally the communities surrounding them because this looks at community spread in the county the entire county surrounding a college and university right and finds that it is as bears like you know uh investigation by simple common sense rises right by having right. a college or university open for public for uh open for in-person instruction in it but no instead of saying like th- this is a clear indication that you know you you should use this to say like okay well Clearly, this is a practice that should not be happening mm-hmm. right now. Um, colleges and universities, a lot of them that haven't already are about to go back to uh, that. Those are that are going back to in-person instruction, you know, are, you know, either about to or have uh, started already. This is something that like seems like it should be 
outside of the purview of, you know, individual decisions by institutions of higher education that have other uh, interests and pressures on them. Yeah, right? I think that's a really good point. But, um, you know, just like so much other shit with the pandemic, it's like, well, no, you know what? Like, uh, they'll, I guess, uh, I, do I don't the know, right test, thing, right? test them. Uh, we just trust, trust them to decide it's, it's fine. Uh, you know, and, and then all, all the way to the case of West Virginia that we talked about last week where they're saying, well, you know, you know how we can mitigate that? Let's just not count university <laughs> students. Like let's take, let's take, uh, just count them as one. Let the, let the universities, uh, move their students who get COVID into a congregate facility. We'll count all the students in that entire yeah. congregate facility Listen, as one case. Like, and I read, uh, problem I read solved. the Dr. Braun. I read the Dr. Bronner's bottle. <laughs> I realize that we're all one. We're all one. <laughs> you could create like a special um, category of room and board charge for people who have to go into the COVID uh, room and board, right? Like you could, oh, uh, then you could make raise revenues. Sort of, oh yeah, right? charge it. Uh, char- the state said, you know, like not the state, but you know the the uh, the government said that they'll they'll pick up uh, the cost of certain categories of uh, of COVID treatment. Right, mark that down as a treatment. Figure out a way that you can chart it. Hire a doctor, maybe, right. uh, and there you go. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> like well, it's all about diversifying revenue streams, right? right? You know what I mean? Like in in this modern age, uh, institutions of higher education have to be uh, innovative quick responding uh cutthroat capitalist organizations that really think about smart new ways to use their student population like uh cattle i think all of this is to say really and maybe this is i mean this has kind of been my uh at least my hobby horse over the course of this uh episode but it does just feel it just keeps feeling increasingly dire to me so i can't help but thinking like especially i mean between this between the fact that for example you know as we're talking about i think this like the study the cdc study is really is you know really interesting and the 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 result is dramatic right the result as we've as we've talked about is like or the 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 finding is very dramatic in terms of how something as simple as like having in-person classes affects spread in the immediate area right but I think that, you know, between something like that, knowing that, for example, that's not going to necessarily push anything, knowing that, I mean, seeing all of these signs of like, well, uh, you know, like we, we gotta, we gotta do the concert series before, you know, before people are all vaccinated, like we can't wait to reopen. There'll be nothing left to reopen, et cetera, et cetera. Um, same basically like right wing line from the beginning of the pandemic, frankly, the, like people have been, the people who were saying at the initial outside of the pandemic like we gotta we can't do a quote-unquote lockdown because there will be nothing left when we reopen Mm. you know that was not your cuomo's but is now it is now that language has naturalized into regular liberal discourse so Mm -hmm. what i mean what i guess i keep thinking about do you guys remember at the beginning of the pandemic in like late march the not really the beginning of the pandemic obviously but the beginning of like it hitting uh like the u.s and the uk and and uh, france and italy and stuff like that um by like late march boris johnson said and got a lot of flack for this but he said and i quote he uh summarized the government's uh the uk government's policy uh as quote herd immunity protect the economy and if that means some pensioners die too bad (laughs) and i honestly feel like what we're watching right now is that it's that exact line 
except for with like, you know, starting with like 5% vaccinated, like 5% of total population vaccinated, otherwise herd immunity, protect the economy. And if that means some pensioners die too bad, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? It is really like, I really feel like that's where we're at you know, not to be too too like dark about it because i think it's just like this stuff has to just ha- the fact that that is clearly what the f- what is fucking happening has to be called out right yeah no mm-hmm. exactly i mean it's like that to me i think is actually the perfect way to describe the current strategy actually and yeah. that's what i that's this whole discrepancy over like who actually constitutes immune compromised and what to do about college students right and whether or not we're going to consider stuff like prisons part of the community um this is this is all part of that i I mean one thing we neglected to mention that i just want to point out is that cuomo is currently refusing to vaccinate refusing to permit vaccination people in prisons and local jails legal aid society put out a press release on the 12th of january about the vaccination situation and pointed out that Cuomo's also only granted clemency to 21 people of the 2,500 plus people who applied in the state of New York, right? And so you have sort of the manipulation of human beings into congregate groups that are being used right now in order to facilitate this plan of protect the economy. If some people die, so what? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the pathway, like the, I I, I don't want to like also reinforce the sort of uh, overly an overly grim kind of conclusion here. But it is the case that like whenever the sort of eval- social evaluation or collective consciousness like evaluation of this like moment in time happens, the way that we do it, the lessons that uh, we end up learning will like it, it is already shaping uh, everything else in uh, the American state and American society in like profound, profound ways. And there is a route um, uh, out of this that is a much uh, more brutal and uh, punitive uh, version of society. And it's and it inheres in lessons, lesson drawing that's like, uh, you know, the great heroes, the great uh, leaders, Cuomo, etc., and the <laughs> irresponsible uh, unwashed masses um, th- th- that's the sort of dark and light, uh, of the, of the narrative. Um, but like not, not being able to see that, uh, I don't know, lacking a national health service a national infrastructure uh, for this, not being able to see that, um, you know, we didn't have to have a f- bake sale, Right. The idea like, like, yeah. like, uh, uh, like that was a legitimate thing that somebody advising a, you know, person that has that sits on a state fisc yeah. um, and that, that person who sits on it actually did um, those kinds of things, you know, and then that there them, were subsequent meetings and phone calls about. Right. right. <laughs> I mean, but like you're recognizing them and calling them out in the moment is one thing and it's important, but it's just as important because the prospective. Uh, angle the fact that people are going to be drawing lessons about like what we make of society after this whole thing and um unless you know that you know that set of lessons is drawn about the the failure of these institutions that we had rather than some story about like you know the good leaders and the bad people um is Mm -hmm. drawn like we we will i I don't think it's like hyperbolic to say and i don't know what it would look like 
but it's it's obviously leads you down a road of more repress a more repressive political culture. I don't see yeah. I don't see how it doesn't. No, mm-hmm. and, and that's the fact of the matter is is that like we're not anti bake sales. I love a good bake sale. It's just that there's a time and a place, and <laughs> equally as feasible as doing this sort of grand Broadway performance would be that you could um, pay artists and art workers money that they're not making right now because the industry is closed. But instead, you could also spend that money on AV rentals to put on public spectacles. So it's all also- it's all comes down to decision making at the end of the day, which like does reinforce the fact that, yeah, it, it's a bummer. It's depressing, but it doesn't mean that this is the only way possible. It's not like set in stone or a law of nature that we have to do things this way. This is all right. deliberate, discreet choices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I guess what we're saying is. COVID is truly America's Vietnam. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. The real COVID is the COVID we made friends. No, the COVID along the way. Well, I mean, I I think that's a good place to leave it for this episode. I highly recommend becoming a patron and checking out our episode from Monday. If you liked this conversation and you are not a patron because we make a pretty detailed case for a lockdown, which is a good, you know, pre-listen before this episode, but I think especially a good, like, next up in your queue. If you've just finished this episode, like, patreon.com slash deathpanelpod, yep. highly recommend just mainlining the next episode uh-huh. right in because they go well together. And it's like, you know, we... <laughs> It's we're not just here to critique the problems. We're also here to like help people try and feel like they can know what to advocate for. And the fact of the matter is, is we need a lockdown now. We need to stop the deaths and we need a lockdown. Mm-hmm. So not a big sale. Yeah. <laughs> no fucking public private partnerships. If it says public yeah. private partnership on the bin, we do not Run. want it. We Run do away. not want it. <laughs> we do not want it. <laughs> Exactly. It's not okay. Yeah. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, until next time, Medicare for all now. Solidarity forever. Stay alive another week. Alright. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Oh
the funnest stage. Would you ask for more? I said one, two, three, four, five.